1: Walking the path with the Buddha. Today, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation and actually walking you through a session of loving kindness meditation so that we can all meditate together and actually train the mind through an active, independent, purposeful training session to cultivate loving kindness in the mind. Loving kindness is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. Active goodwill. Is an interest to see others be well, to see others be peaceful, to see others have a good life, essentially. And through doing this meditation, we can actively train our mind, cultivate this loving kindness in the mind, so that then when we interact with other beings, we have this genuine interest to see others be well, this active goodwill. There's nothing about our meditation that we're going to do today. That is actually going to change another person because that's impossible the only thing we can do in our practice of Gautama buddhist teachings is learn and practice the teachings to change our mind that's what this whole practice centers on is changing our mind improving the quality of our mind purification of our mind and by doing that what you'll notice is that your life will gradually improve because the condition of the mind is gradually improving. So because of this natural law of gamma, or cause and effect, or action and result, by us cultivating in the mind this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment and practicing that in daily life, then what we will notice is that others around us will also tend to practice in the same way. So in your current life, If you've been frustrated or irritated or hostile or unkind to people around you in your life, your personal life, your professional life, then you've essentially conditioned the mind of these people that that's the way you are. You are frustrated, irritated, annoyed, unkind, disrespectful perhaps if that's the way you've been to certain people. And because of that, people are going to be the same way towards you. So by changing your mind through learning and practicing the teachings of Gautama Buddha, you will effectively start treating other people more peacefully, more kindly, more loving. And through that, through those intentions, speech, and actions, and doing that over an extended period of time, more and more people will look at you and treat you and interact with you as a loving, kind, compassionate generous person because those are the type of qualities that you are practicing. So we're going to do that in our meditation session today. But before we get to that, I would just like to kind of share a few other things before we actually dive into meditation. Let's talk about why we're actually interested in cultivating this loving kindness in the mind and why it's important to practice loving kindness in daily life. Gautama Buddha discovered multiple problems about the human mind, why it's unenlightened. Why we don't experience this enlightened mental state where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene and content with joy permanently. As the Buddha, he attained this mental state on his own and discovered all these teachings that are needed in order to attain this mental state for all beings. But people who are not yet enlightened are kind of experiencing significant problems in the mind. And he summarized this into kind of three poisons or three unwholesome roots or three fires. He calls these craving, anger, and ignorance or unknowing of true reality. Also referred to as greed, hatred, and delusion or unknowing of true reality. So far in the recent couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Four Noble Truths because it relates to this first poison or this first unwholesome root of craving. It explains to us that craving, desire, attachment is going to lead to a discontent mind. What craving, desire, and attachment is, is it's a mental longing with a strong eagerness. When the mind has a tendency to hold on and hold on, or want or expect certain things. If the mind has this outward searching for satisfaction and gratification, always looking for more and more and more, the mind is going to be discontent because it has this longing with a strong eagerness. And the only way to eliminate this is to eliminate the craving, desire, attachment that exists in the mind. And we tend to, in the unenlightened state, have these various cravings, desire, attachment for multiple things. We might crave a new car, or a new job, or a certain income, or a relationship, or clothing, or shoes, or even our ego, or a certain amount of friends. There's all these various cravings that the mind goes through. We even have expectations for ourselves. Of things that we expect to do or we have expectations for our friends or our children or our life partners and all of this expectations this wanting is just craving desire attachment and when we don't get these things fulfilled then the mind becomes discontent we experience sadness anger frustration irritation annoyance guilt shame fears boredom, loneliness, shyness, and if it's a pleasant thing, then once we acquire, say, a new income, then the mind gets very happy and excited and elated. All of these discontent feelings are coming from the mind's mental longing with a strong eagerness. And in the Four Noble Truths, Gautama Buddha explains to us by eliminating this outward seeking for satisfaction, that we can actually attain a content mind, the enlightened mind, and he lays out an entire path called the Eightfold Path, which helps us to train the mind towards this enlightened mental state and ultimately attain it. So breathing mindfulness meditation and practicing generosity are the two antidotes to this poison or unwholesome root of craving. And that's something that we cover in this group learning program throughout the entire program. However, today, what we're going to be doing is doing loving kindness meditation, which helps us to eradicate this second poison or this second unwholesome root, which is anger or hatred, also referred to as ill will. This is where the mind has a tendency to kind of wall itself off. When we don't get the object of our affections, i.e. our craving, desire, attachments, when we don't get those, or if they're taken away from us, then the mind will oftentimes respond with hatred, anger, ill will, aggression, hostility, much like an animal, right? This is how the unenlightened mind works. And we tend to block people out of our life. We tend to push people away thinking That that is what's going to cause and create contentedness in the mind. We think in the unenlightened state that the problem is everybody else. We blame everyone else for causing us to be angry. But through these teachings and understanding the Four Noble Truths, what you realize is that you are actually causing yourself to be discontent. You are causing all of those discontent feelings. The anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fears, happiness, excitement, elation, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy. All of these feelings are being created by us. And when those feelings start to arise, we oftentimes will push people out of our life because of this hatred or anger or ill will, or some people call it aversion, And we think if we just block these people out of our life, then everything will be peaceful. And that's what we really need because they're the problem. But what you realize through these teachings is that actually it's your own mind that is the problem. What an enlightened person is going to be able to do is interact and be very loving and very kind and compassionate with all beings. They're not going to push people out of their life because they're not going to experience those hateful feelings or that anger. They understand that by having relationships with other people, this interconnectivity that we have, it's actually very helpful in life to have relationships with other people. So part of our practice here with Gautama Buddha's teachings is to eradicate this second poison, this second unwholesome root of hatred, anger, ill will. And the antidote that he gives us for that is loving-kindness meditation and practicing loving-kindness in daily life. Well, how could we practice loving-kindness in daily life if we haven't cultivated it for our own mind? And that's why we practice loving-kindness meditation, by practicing to cultivate this meditation where you're cultivating and bringing in the wholesome quality of active goodwill towards all beings without judgment then in daily life we can practice that whether it's the cashier at the store the gas station attendant the government worker whether it's our teachers our bosses our co-workers whether these people are doing things that we feel are pleasing us or not then we still need to practice this active goodwill towards all beings, loving kindness. Because see, it's really easy to have loving kindness for people who are agreeable to us, our friends, our family, people who we like, people who get along with us, people who we feel agree with our opinions. But it's when somebody disagrees, the disagreeable who we tend to in the unenlightened state, push away because we don't want those people around because they don't agree with us. They're disagreeable to us. But what an enlightened mind is going to do is whether somebody is agreeable or disagreeable to you, you can still practice this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. And that's what we're going to do in today's meditation is cultivate this and then we can apply it in daily life. And of course, any time you're working on any of these teachings with the Buddha, it's not going to be just one meditation session and then boom, you're the most loving, kind person that ever existed on the planet. In order to really get benefit and see results with these practices, it's a gradual pursuit. It's a gradual progression of training the mind in the direction of this enlightened mind. So through multiple meditation sessions, you can actually train the mind in the direction of having active goodwill for all beings so that you can then practice that in daily life. So meditation, the benefits of that are accumulative. So whether you're meditating for five, 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, that one session is great but you need to actually develop a meditation practice where you're meditating consistently and being dedicated to this practice over an extended period of time. And by doing that, you will see that there's this gradual, slow change in the mind, this gradual progression to enlightenment. One of the biggest myths about Gautama Buddha's life is that he sat under a tree, he meditated, and instantly became enlightened. This isn't what he explains in his teachings at all. What he explains is this gradual progression, this gradual training of the mind towards enlightenment. So I call this a life practice because we need to develop a life practice of learning and practicing the teachings of Gautama Buddha so that then you can implement them in daily life. You don't need to believe anything from the Buddha. You don't need to believe anything from me. What's important is that you learn and practice the teachings so that you can see the benefit, see the results for yourself. And by doing that, you will see this gradual progression towards the enlightened mind. So loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in daily life is what's going to eradicate this poison of hatred anger, or ill will. This frustration, irritation, all of this is going to slowly fade away. This hostility that's in the mind, maybe not towards everybody, but maybe certain situations and certain people, you just have hostility or resentment. Maybe things that happened in the past, this meditation is going to help you to let that go. And then, of course, the third poison or the third unwholesome root, is this delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality. What this is, is this is how the mind is unaware of these teachings. The mind is confused. The mind is misunderstanding life. We go around, we drink alcohol. We might tell a little bit of a lie. We might you know, kind of take something without asking somebody. We might kind of indulge in sexual activity without kind of having a real committed relationship, or maybe even, you know, go behind a partner's back. Or maybe we know somebody else has a partner and we spend time with them and, you know, cultivating a sexual relationship. Or we speak in hostile ways, unfriendly ways, Or we have certain sarcastic intentions and look to be sarcastic with people and be witty. Or our ego comes out and we start having this egotistical mind that is kind of arrogant or conceited, right? All of these various teachings that the Buddha shared, the mind is unaware of them. The mind is unaware how it's causing itself to be discontent. The mind is unaware of things like impermanence, discontentedness, non-self. The mind is unaware of things like the natural law of Gamma. The mind is unaware of the three poisons itself. The mind is unaware of so many things. It's the unknowing of true reality. And because of that, because of the unknowing of true reality, the mind just continues to crave, seeking fulfillment externally the mind continues to have hatred and anger and hostility, blocking people off. And the mind is essentially trapped in this unenlightened state. Even though in the human realm, even though we have this human life and we have the ability to cultivate the mind and attain enlightenment, we're ignorant to that. We have delusion. We have confusion. We have unknowing of true reality. And because of that, it keeps us trapped in the unenlightened mind, and we continue to go around experiencing all the discontent feelings. We continue to have anger, hatred, sadness, frustration, irritation, guilt, shame, fears, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, and our mind just keeps moving through all of these impermanent feelings and ultimately feeling more and more miserable. This is one of the reasons why so many people in the world today have such a poor outlook on life, because the mind is experiencing all these discontent feelings, and it doesn't know the way out. It's not aware. It doesn't have wisdom, because wisdom is the antidote that Gautama Buddha gave us for this third poison, this poison of delusion, ignorance, or unknowing of true reality, is resolved and remedied through wisdom. Well, how do we get that wisdom? The way we get that wisdom is by learning and practicing the teachings of Gotama Buddha without belief, not believing the teachings. There's never a time where Gotama Buddha said, Believe me. There's never a time where I will say, Believe me. Because belief doesn't liberate the mind. You can't see the truth and attain wisdom. Through belief so the way that acquire this wisdom is to learn the teachings and practice them and through your practice of these teachings you will see the mind and the condition of the mind gradually improve and you will gain the wisdom of what it takes to progress on this path to enlightenment through that wisdom that you acquire and you see the truth for yourself you will then start functioning in the world differently. Once the mind starts to understand these truths and acquire the wisdom of how to eradicate these poisons in the mind, then the mind will start functioning in the world very differently than it does in the unenlightened state. But in order to get that wisdom, you need to have guidance from teachers. You need to have people to share the teachings with you so that you can then learn those teachings and independently observe the truth for yourself. You need to be introduced, you need to be guided, you need the teachings to be shared with you. But once they're shared with you, you should be able to then independently observe the teachings for yourself. And by independently observing the teachings for yourself, seeing these truths as truth, then you have wisdom. You will know with 100% certainty that these teachings are the truth and they're continually improving the quality of the mind and essentially leading you closer and closer to this enlightened mind because this anger and frustration will go down to irritation, to annoyance, to dislike, and then all of a sudden certain situations will be happening around you that in the past would cause you anger and frustration all of a sudden, it doesn't affect you. You have the same exact situation occur, but you feel nothing. The mind is just peaceful and calm because you've trained it so well that this anger and hostility gradually diminishes and extinguishes until the mind is permanently peaceful, permanently calm, permanently serene, permanently content, and permanently joyful. And you do this on all the various situations and experiences that you have in life. But it requires you to build wisdom. And in order for you to have wisdom, you need teachers and guides. You need classes like this. You need resources to learn. You need to have the teachings brought into the mind. And that's what we actually do in this group learning program that we have here in the Facebook group, Daily Wisdom, walking the path with the Buddha on Sunday at nine o'clock. And on Wednesday at nine o'clock, we have these online sessions where you can join and learn the teachings of the Buddha and ask questions in live real time. We also have a podcast where if you missed the Sunday or Wednesday talk, you can actually learn through the podcast and you can also learn through the YouTube channel we have videos there and we live stream directly to YouTube. We also have books, audiobooks, and quizzes and other resources to help you learn in our group learning program. You can even ask questions in our Facebook group and get guidance directly from a teacher. The way that our Facebook group is set up is it's not set up for members to be teaching each other. There's plenty of groups that focus on that and if you like that, you can join one of those groups and participate in those. But if you're looking to join a group where you just get guidance from a teacher, you can join Daily Wisdom Walking the Path with the Buddha and you will be able to ask questions and the only person who will be sharing guidance with you is the teacher, which would be me. So you're welcome to join. You're welcome to be able to participate in this group learning program. And you're even welcome to reach out personally to receive guidance with me. I have the ability to schedule appointments where you can click on a link, go to a website, and see my schedule. And you can actually schedule a personal session where you can receive guidance from me one-on-one through video or audio. And I take about maybe six to ten of those appointments per week and you can see them online so all of these resources are being shared with you and all of this opportunity is available for you to be able to learn and practice the teachings so that you can eradicate craving anger and ignorance or unknowing of true reality this group learning program is going to be starting over on August 9th so the 9th of August which is a Sunday we're going to be starting from the beginning of the book developing a life practice the path that leads to nibbana. right now we're in chapter 23 or 24 and we're progressing through this book and we're almost finished but in another two or three weeks we're gonna actually have finished out that six months of learning and we're gonna be starting all over again from the very beginning so if you are not yet a member Of this Facebook group or you have not yet signed up using the link in the comment section of this podcast or of this video then you need to click on that link where it says group learning program and sign up for the program and then you'll start getting the communications of how to participate you'll get all the download links for the resources of the book the audiobook the YouTube channel the podcast, the quizzes, the Facebook group, and everything else that you need. And of course, all of this is offered to you openly and freely. There's no cost to participate in this program. You're able to actually learn and practice these teachings without needing to pay any money whatsoever. Of course, I accept donations, but I have no expectation of donations. It's helpful. It allows me to purchase the resources and things that I need to actually conduct this program, but it's not required. So I wouldn't want the cost or money or resources that you may or may not have to stand in the way of you reaching and attaining access to the teachings that you need to liberate the mind. So if you'd like to sign up, use the link in the comment section of the podcast or video that you're watching, and then you'll be able to participate in this group learning program. On Sundays, we have the main talk about the actual chapter that we're studying. And then on Wednesdays, we will typically cover breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, and chanting. And occasionally we do some other interesting stuff as well. So you'll have to participate and see the various teachings that you can attain so that you can progress on this path. Because a life with sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, guilt, boredom, shame, fears, loneliness, shyness, resentment, and jealousy, a life like this is no fun. An unenlightened mind is no fun. There's no enjoyment in being angry and frustrated and hostile. And because you're angry or frustrated or irritated, that means people around you are going to be exactly the same way. That's what's going to come back to you. So by you focusing on training your mind through this type of training and through this type of program, you will actually then not only be able to improve the quality of your mind, but also the quality of your life because more and more people around you will then start treating you in the same way that you're treating them. Okay? So I just wanted to share that with you no matter where you're listening whether it's on the podcast or one of our social media outlets or whether you're even watching this as one of the watch parties that tend to get kicked off after our sessions. I would like to thank everybody who's been participating in the group learning program over the last six months. Thank you for all your questions. Thank you for all your donations. Thank you for all your contributions to what we've been able to accomplish here in the last six months. And I know from a previous session, that many of those students are already seeing benefits to their mind and to their life. And that's what it's really all about, is you improving the quality of your mind and improving your life. So now, with all that said, let's get back to loving kindness meditation and these three poisons. Craving, anger, and ignorance, or unknowing of true reality. Greed, hatred, and delusion, or unknowing of true reality. Before we move forward, let me just pause and see if we have any questions from anybody in our Zoom virtual classroom, from social media and Facebook or YouTube, which is where we're live streaming to. We have a moderator named Max who does a really good job of looking at all these questions that people send in through comments or chat and then can ask the questions and then get them answered in our session live. virtual classroom and the Zoom sessions, they actually have the added feature of being able to raise their hand and ask the question live. So no matter where you participate, you're welcome to ask questions or ask follow-up questions as we go throughout these online learning sessions. So Max, do we have any questions from anybody in our audience today?
2: Thank you, David. I have a question. You talked earlier about aversion to disagreeable behavior in others and by disagreeable behavior are we talking about behavior that we find displeasing because of our attachments or can this also mean behavior that is inherently unwholesome in some way and is it useful to draw a distinction between those two
1: it's actually both right because in the unenlightened mind we tend to hold on to so many things we tend to hold on to thoughts and experiences that we've had, certain opinions, certain views, but we also have certain ways that we think other people should interact with us or interact with others or certain way that we expect everybody to interact in the world. And when people don't do things to our pleasing or things that we like, which is a craving, desire, attachment, a mental longing with a strong eagerness, an expectation, an obligation, when we project that onto another person then those people are essentially disagreeable to us we expect certain things to happen and when they don't happen the way that our mind chooses that we want to have this thing happen to please the mind then that's when we have aversion so it starts with the craving of the mind holding on to a certain attachment or a certain expectation or obligation and the mind wants everybody to be a certain way or talk a certain way or interact a certain way or do things in a certain way. And when our friends, our family, our children, our coworkers, our boss, strangers, the bus driver, taxi driver, when people don't do things the way that we find suitable because we've had in the unlighted mind certain criteria of everything that we think should happen in the world and it should be our way It should be our way because of this selfish desire Then when these things don't happen, that's when the mind becomes discontent And then we react with hostility and push people away with aversion And it could be something wholesome or it could be unwholesome so let's say that we think everybody should not have ego and that's true right if we're all walking this path to enlightenment and the entire world didn't have ego that would be wonderful that's a wholesome quality that's a wonderful thing for the entire world to accomplish however if you go around or if we go around in the unenlightened mind and expect that everyone's going to not have ego when we see ego, the mind's going to be frustrated. It's going to be irritated. Why does everyone have to have ego? Oh, the, the world's horrible. The world's miserable. Oh, why, why is there so much ego in the world? So even though it's a wholesome thing, a wholesome quality that it would be great for the world to aspire to, that's not where the world is right now. So if the mind holds on and expects this condition, then The mind's going to be discontent when it interacts with somebody with ego, and then it's going to push this person away. It's going to have aversion or hostility or frustration or irritation. So that's like a wholesome quality. The other situation that you mentioned is, let's say it's an unwholesome thing. Let's say somebody's drinking or using drugs, and we know that and we try to push them away because we think that, you know, they're no good for our life. And maybe ultimately we aren't interested in being around people that are ingesting intoxicants and substances that cause heedlessness. That's not necessarily a bad decision. However, if we do that with aversion and hostility, or we do that with thinking down on these people and judging them, then we're practicing arrogance. We're the ones with the ego and this aversion of pushing people out of our life, not having this active goodwill for all beings will cause problems in our life because not only are we going to push this person away that's taking in substances that we disagree with, but also other smaller situations. Maybe somebody just says a couple of words that we don't like. Maybe someone is in the habit of using the word stupid all the time and we don't like this word stupid. And whenever we hear someone use the word stupid, we just kind of like push them away and push them out of our life. If we did that, then the mind is going to find it very difficult to interact in the world because not everybody is going to do things in the way that's pleasing to the mind. So what an enlightened mind is gonna be able to do is whether the person is doing something wholesome or unwholesome, we're still gonna be able to find a way to interact with this person politely, kindly, friendly, and respectfully. Whether we see that they're doing things that are agreeable to us in terms of they're speaking polite and kind and friendly and respectful, or whether we see them speaking unfriendly or unpolite or disrespectful. We can be the same way towards both people. Nothing changes about our mind. So an enlightened mind having attained this permanent mental state of peacefulness, calmness, serenity, and contentedness with joy, that mental state is permanent. The enlightened mental state is permanent. It's unshakable. It won't change from that mental state of enlightenment. So when we're encountering a person who's agreeable to us or disagreeable to us, the mind is going to practice the same way. There's still gonna be loving kindness or active goodwill towards all beings without judgment in both situations because the enlightened mind has already transcended all this craving, anger, and ignorance. It's already eradicated all that from the mind so it can treat both people the same way because it's operating through the mind, which has attained this permanent mental state, which is practicing this Eightfold Path all the time.
2: Great. Got it. Thank you, David. Now, we have a comment from Shanta on YouTube. She says, when you are able to let it go and you allow the person back into your life and they have not changed, that's so hard. That is my struggle with a relative who has repeatedly overstepped boundaries. And now I feel at peace without this person in my life. I don't hold any ill feelings, but I struggle with having her in my life. I feel bad because the struggle is real with allowing her in my life when she causes issues and stresses me out.
1: Okay, let's talk about this. So your family member isn't stressing you out, okay? No one else has the ability to create feelings and emotions inside of your mind. Okay, it's your craving, desire, attachment to wanting things to be a certain way. And then when you're interacting with this person, your mind becomes stressful because you're expecting things to be a certain way. So, we're not talking about whether this person is doing good or bad things, or wholesome or unwholesome things what we're talking about in this first part of what you shared is just your mind expects things to be a certain way. And when they're not that way, that's when you create the stress for yourself because you want them to be a certain way. That want or that expectation is the craving, desire, attachment. That's the mental longing with a strong eagerness. And when things aren't that way, your mind can't be peaceful. It's stressed. It feels stressed because it's not this way. So if you eliminate this, then what you'll realize is that you'll be able to more easily be around all people, no matter what they do. But you're not there yet. You've just started practicing these teachings in the last week and a half. So you're still learning, you're still practicing. But I just wanna make sure you understand that that stress you're feeling is not coming from another person you're actually causing it yourself and that's why you can eliminate it yourself you can eliminate this stress but you need more training and you need more guidance you need more time to really move the mind in the direction of enlightenment and when you do you'll find it to be easier and easier and easier to be around all people so that's the first thing is you're actually causing this yourself the second thing that i would like to share is there's a difference between aversion, hatred, and anger versus having discernment of people you choose to have in your life or not. Let's talk about this. Aversion, hatred, or anger is I don't want to be around this person because I don't like what they do and I don't want to be around them. I don't like this. Right, and there could be frustration or irritation or annoyance associated with that. And we might have ill will potentially, or maybe something less like just, oh, I don't like this, right? That would be aversion. But it sounds like what you're talking about with your family member may not be this. It may not be aversion. It may be that you're having discernment where you're choosing that based on where your life is right now, and what you're trying to accomplish, you'd rather not have this person in your life at this particular time. You still have active goodwill for her. You still have compassion. You still have non-judgment. You still have kindness and generosity and respect and all of these feelings for that person, but you just know it wouldn't be good for your life right now based on what it is you're trying to accomplish. And that's okay if you choose not to be around certain people because you know that having them in your life is going to create complications for you because you're doing it to yourself, then it's okay to put a pause on this relationship and come back to it at another time, especially if it's a family member because you know they're always going to be there. But what you need to do is make sure that if you do that, that you're doing it still with loving kindness, active goodwill towards all beings, still with compassion, a concern for others' misfortune. But if we block someone out with hostility, that's aversion. But if we just choose not to participate with people in our life at a given time, because maybe you're working on yourself, maybe you're under a lot of deadlines in order to study for a test to get a job. Maybe you're working through other relationships with your parents or your siblings. And maybe this cousin isn't someone that you would like to really focus on right now. You want to focus on maybe your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, or maybe your life partner or your children. You might have other people that are kind of needing time for you to work out the relationship. So putting a pause on this is okay. But just be sure you do it still with active goodwill towards all beings without judgment and with compassion, which is concern for others' misfortune. So that's the difference between aversion and just choosing not to involve certain people in your life at given times. And maybe you come back to it at a later time.
2: We have a question from Judith. I find that the teachings of the Buddha have so much wisdom and truth On the other hand, when there is evil, like when a psychopath really hurts somebody, like a child, how can we not have disgusted feelings and the anger that brings us to try to help? I suffer from ignorance and can't discern what is the so-called spiritual bypass and what is the really helpful dharma.
1: Okay, so what the mind needs to realize is that in this big world that we live in, there's going to be problems, right? we are never going to live, you and I, are never going to live in a world where the entire world is peaceful. The entire world is not harming each other. It's not going to happen during our lifetime. There's going to be people who murder. There's going to be people who rape. There's going to be people that do these harmful things in the world. So the mind has to realize that's going to happen. We don't need to agree with it. We don't need to condone it. We don't need to support it. But the mind needs to understand and realize these things are going to happen. And when those things happen, if we allow the mind to get angry or frustrated or irritated because of it, what good does it do? What good, what benefit is it creating that you get angry when somebody else does something bad. So essentially, your mind is craving, desire, attached. It has this mental longing for the entire world to be peaceful and no harm to be done. So that's a great aspiration, right? This is where the Buddhist teachings aren't about what's right or wrong. He's explaining to you why your mind is discontent. So even craving something wholesome, even craving something as good, as the entire world being peaceful. If you maintain this craving, this mental longing with a strong eagerness, if you have this desire, this attachment for the entire world to be peaceful, whenever you see that there isn't something going well in the world, you're going to be irritated. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be annoyed. You might have anger. It's because of the craving desire attachment. So you need to train the mind with breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity to let go, to realize there's going to be harm in the world. It doesn't mean you agree with it. It doesn't mean you agree with somebody's actions, but those things happen. And it's those people's individual personal choices that created that. But if you attach your peaceful mind to everyone else has to be peaceful, before you become peaceful, then you've got to wait for 7.5 billion people in the world to become peaceful before you become peaceful. That means you're going to be the last one, right? And then there's more people being born all the time. So your mind is holding on and craving, desiring, attached, wanting others to be a certain way, having certain expectations. You have to let that go. And you have to realize that all the inner fulfillment, all the peace, all the calmness, all the serenity, all the contentness and joy is already there. You need to remove this pollution of the mind where the mind wants certain things to be a certain way. And by doing that, then your mind can be more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But you need to learn the entire Eightfold Path and you need to practice all the various teachings that are part of this path. It's not just a one-time shot. It's a life practice of developing this practice and then implementing it in daily life.
2: Recently, David, you shared a teaching with me from the Buddha about how fairs and shows and live entertainment wastes one's substance. And today you also talked about craving and how we should not seek fulfillment in external things. So I was wondering, what about more seemingly innocuous entertainment like films games etc is there any use in these if we don't crave them presuming we don't crave them and in a world where everyone is practicing deeply is there any place for entertainment
1: yes so it's important to understand that there's different levels of teaching right there's common household practitioner teachings And then there's the higher teachings for the ordained practitioners. The higher teachings is a much more strict discipline that is more conducive of somebody to attain enlightenment. Going through the ordained path is more conducive to enlightenment because there's a really strict discipline there that if you choose to go in that direction, that you will shut down a lot of the opportunities for the mind to have craving or for the mind to sway in one direction or another. So things like entertainment or fairs or games, certain things like this, the ordained practitioners didn't participate in and they shouldn't participate in because they're on a real strict discipline to train the mind towards this middle way of enlightenment. And what happens with entertainment, with music, with fairs and all of these things is they're designed To create emotion they're designed to create feelings this is why music certain music has a pleasant sound or have a harsh sound certain movies will be very loving or very jovial or very scary right all of this entertainment and all this media that we put into the mind it moves the mind in a certain direction and for someone who's on this real straight and narrow path of the ordained path, these things will sway the mind and it's much more challenging for that person if their practice isn't really strong to be able to maintain that middle way. For household practitioners, we haven't necessarily prescribed or decided to take this ordained path. However, we can use things from that ordained path to help us to train our mind. And some things with entertainment and things that you can think about is when you listen to music, you're going to see your mind is going to move in certain direction. Or if you watch certain movies, you're going to see your mind is going to move in a certain direction. These things are not bad. It's not wrong to take in this content. But what you have to understand is you really need to develop a really strong, stable practice in which to ensure that the mind is more and more stable so that when you take in this content, you can bring the mind back to the middle. For someone who is maybe on this path and really wants to get serious with it for maybe three months, six months or a year or what have you, you might choose to eliminate those things from your practice. You might choose to stop listening to the news. You might choose to stop watching movies or watch them very rarely. You might choose to only listen to instrumental music with have a very calming sound or something like this, and you can do that. And what will happen is you will develop right mindfulness, which is the seventh step on the Eightfold Path. Mindfulness is awareness of mind. You will develop right mindfulness much better eliminating those things from the mind. And maybe you decide to eliminate those for a period of time and then slowly bring them back into your life. Because there's so many people out there that get angry and frustrated when they see the news. There's so many people that have challenges when they watch certain movies and it might make you cry or you might get upset or frustrated or angry over certain things. And if you're trying to sort out this emotion in the mind and these feelings and the mind just keeps swaying back and forth due to all this content that's coming into the mind then you're going to find it harder and harder to get to this middle way and really stay on top of it so one thing you might choose to do is either eliminate it or significantly reduce it so that you can see the mind more clearly and stick to this middle way the other thing that can happen is remember one of the discontent feelings is boredom or loneliness we can sometimes really indulge in media if there's boredom or there's loneliness and we don't see the boredom we don't see the loneliness we don't eradicate that ignorance or delusion we just indulge in another craving we just go to crave movies or music or sex or something else all of these things in moderation can be fine for your life. However, if you're ignoring those feelings that are arising, the boredom or loneliness, and you're just lashing out and grasping on to the next craving, then you're essentially losing the opportunity to see what's causing the boredom or see what's causing the loneliness and eradicate that, train the mind to eradicate that. So by completely eliminating or reducing this media input you'll more clearly be able to see the pure mind that will be unaffected and uninfluenced by all this input into the mind there was a period of time for about two and a half three years i stopped doing all facebook there was a period of time where i stopped watching the news for many many years there was a period of time where i stopped taking in this kind of content and it creates a really good environment for you to learn and practice the teachings. Because we really spend in the unenlightened state, we spend a lot of time sometimes taking in this content and games and movies and all of these things, when if we actually spend time to learn and practice the teachings, which will have real lasting benefit, we can do that for three months, six months, a year, what have you, and then being more firm and more stable with our mind With these practices, having a better developed life practice, we can slowly bring back in some of these other things like entertainment or gaming or going to a movie or going to a festival or a fair. Because remember, Gautama Buddha's words and his teachings, they're not rules, they're not obligations, they're not, you must do this or else you are doomed. Right. He never taught that way. What he's doing is he's sharing guidance and he's saying, "Okay, if you would like to attain this enlightened mind where it's peaceful, calm, serene and content with joy permanently, here's the way to do that. And he's basically pointing the way. And then it's up to anyone who chooses to strive to attain that. And he's providing guidance of how to do that. Whether you choose to watch one movie a week or one movie a month or one movie every three months is totally up to you. If anyone ever shares, all movies are bad or all games are bad, all fairs and festivals are bad, this is permanence. This is the mind looking at Gautama Buddha's teachings as rules. They're not rules, it's guidance. And if you look at it as guidance and you put together this life practice for yourself that is guiding your mind towards this enlightened mental state, then instead of somebody telling you what to do and you just checking off and following rules, you're looking at this guidance from Gautama Buddha that he gave to the ordained practitioners and he gave to the household practitioners. And you're choosing what to bring into your life when and if you choose to do it. Most people know that in order to attain enlightenment, the highest stage of enlightenment, as an arahant, we need to eliminate sexual contact. Even to attain the third stage of enlightenment, we need to eliminate sexual contact. Well, hearing that right from the beginning of the path, your mind might be like, no way, I'm not doing that. I'm not giving up sexual contact. And the beauty is you don't have to. You're not required to. That's so far at the end of the path, you may choose not to actually do that now. You might be working on all these other things, like the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, which includes right view, right intention, right speech, right action, all of these other things. You might be working on your meditation practice, all of these other things. At some point in the future, as you work your way towards enlightenment, you can attain the first and second stage of enlightenment while still maintaining sexual contact. And you'll have a really good life in the first and second stage of enlightenment. But then at some point later in your life, you may choose or you may not to ultimately eliminate sexual contact. When or if you ever choose to do that is up to you. There's no judgment in these teachings so it's each individual person's choice it's our own individual life practice it's our own individual journey so even though there's these certain things that are on the path that we learn and we understand that are going to move the mind closer to enlightenment when or if we choose to actually invoke those teachings is totally up to us so this whole aspect of entertainment max and gaming and all of these things Someone may choose to be able to give that up right now and choose to do that and then bring it back later. Somebody may choose to just diminish it a little bit in order to kind of get a more even practice. And same thing with things like sex or other things that are part of this practice. But one thing that the Buddha definitely said is this practice is all about relinquishment. All about relinquishment, essentially giving things up. And oftentimes, when we get started on this path, we look for all kinds of reasons of why to not pursue it. And because the unenlightened mind loves to hold on, because of craving, desire, attachment, the mind loves to hold on. When people start looking at the path and they see that part of this path is giving things up, that's the last thing the unenlightened mind really is interested to do. And oftentimes, the mind says, no, I'm not doing that because I don't want to give these things up. But don't look at it that way. What you should look at is look at what you're gaining in this path. What you're gaining is a concentrated mind, focus, clarity of thought, improved memory. You're eliminating sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy. You're eliminating all of that stuff through training the mind. But once you attain enlightenment and as you pursue enlightenment, you choose to watch a movie here and there, it's up to you. You choose to play a video game, it's up to you, right? Everything is up to you on this practice. Nothing is forced. There is no rules. So it's really important to focus on what you're gaining in this practice and realize when or if you ever choose to give up any of these things is up to you. You can go as far or as short on this path as you like. There's plenty of teachings that the Buddha shared that will benefit your life and improve the quality of your life. But what things you choose to incorporate into your life practice is up to you. The more that you learn and incorporate into your life, the more enlightened the mind will become. But that doesn't mean that you never watch a movie or you never listen to music. What you'll probably find is as the mind becomes more enlightened, you will naturally start to let go of these things without even making a conscious choice to do so. I very rarely, if ever, listen to music. Very rarely. And it wasn't a conscious choice. It's just the mind doesn't have that interest anymore. And it just happened to do that. And I used to love to listen to music all the time. And that was a certain craving that I had. And I listened to it a ton. But now at this point in my life, every once in a while, i listen to some music, but not very frequently. And the same thing with movies or other things. And it's not that I even made a conscious decision to do so. It just kind of naturally happened on its own. It's the same thing that happens with our sex drive. It kind of naturally extinguishes as we age. So a lot of these things, as you learn and practice this path, will just naturally fall away without much real issue of you letting it go because you don't have to rush and hurry up to get enlightened. Nobody should be hurrying up to get enlightened, right? So we should just take our time, pursue it as a goal or an objective or an interest.
2: Yes, and many times you've reminded me to train gradually, that the mind responds well to gradual training. And I feel that if we try and cut any of these cravings off too quickly, we can actually create more trouble in the mind and then maybe go towards the aversion side of things. So yeah, that's been very helpful advice to train the mind gradually.
1: Absolutely. By saying the mind craves permanence, which is part of the way I teach the Four Noble Truths, essentially what we understand is the mind does not like impermanence, right? The mind doesn't like change. It just despises change. This is why when everybody went from working and having a normal life and doing whatever they were doing, when people started quarantining in the house, people started becoming bored or lonely or angry or frustrated or irritated because of that change. And now people have been inside for two, three, four months when things start opening back up, people aren't gonna like going outside because now the mind's gotten attached to being inside, right? The mind's not gonna be so pleased maybe to go outside. This is the mind craving permanence. So the mind doesn't like impermanence. So if you try to do these real hard, fast stops of things, sometimes that can work, like people will quit smoking or quit drugs or alcohol or things like that. And that can work sometimes, but Oftentimes, the best way is to just gradually ease the mind away from these attachments. When you identify certain craving, desire attachments that are creating discontent feelings, then identify what those attachments are and then gradually train the mind away from it. And it's going to be a much more comfortable situation. And if you need to take a particularly aggressive approach with certain things that you really want to get out of your life, like cigarettes or alcohol or drugs, then you can go for it. But don't be surprised if the mind reverts back or relapses, right? This is the craving gradually extinguishing. So if you are a smoker and you've been smoke-free for two weeks and you go back to one cigarette, that's just the mind still having a bit of craving, just jump right back on the bandwagon and now go, four weeks without a cigarette. And if you happen to have one, okay, jump right back on. Now go six weeks, right? Or whether it's you're trying to eliminate sexual contact or you're trying to eliminate caffeine or you're trying to eliminate the news. Some people have told me they want to get the news out of their life. They don't want to watch the news anymore. Same thing. You might go two, three, four weeks without the news. And then the mind just would like to see it once. And then you get right back on and you start to extinguish it again this is the mind how it gradually extinguishes all of these cravings that we have and that's how craving anger and ignorance or unknowing of true reality that's how we extinguish them gradually it's a gradual progression it's a life practice and that's why the meditation that we're going to do today is so important to gradually cultivate loving-kindness or active goodwill in the mind so that we gradually eliminate anger, hatred, ill will.
2: We have a question from Shital. It's actually a follow-up to Judith's earlier question mm-hmm. about experiencing anger at the evil in the world. So Chital asks, where is our responsibility then towards society?
1: Well, you really have no responsibility to society whatsoever. It would be very kind, very generous, very thoughtful to help society. And you can do that. And all of us will do that, right? Because you can't exist in this world without providing some kind of benefit to the world, right? We all have some type of way of sustaining our life. We all have a certain livelihood. We all work and do something, right? Whether we work outside the home or we work inside the home, there's nobody that's just really, well, there's probably some people that just sit and do nothing all day long. There's probably some people somewhere. But ultimately, that's impermanent. We all need to contribute to society in some way. How we do that, when we do that, is totally up to us. But based on Judas' question of a psychopath causing harm to some innocent child, for example, we have little ability to change that person. We have really no ability to change them. We have the ability to influence them. And that's why there's these certain systems in place, right? If a psychopath, for example, harms a child, there's systems in place, law enforcement, court systems, imprisonment things like this to help this person see you're headed down the wrong path and there's harm here you're causing harm therefore harm is coming to you this is gamma this is the natural law of gamma it's right here right now but if we see on the news that somebody has harmed a little child there's nothing that we can really do in that situation the harm has already occurred it's already happened it's on the news which means they're either looking for the individual or the individual's already in custody. For us to get angry or frustrated at that point, it doesn't help anything. If we want to help, if we're interested in helping, we need to find a way to contribute to society to benefit people so that those things don't happen. But the mind has to realize that some of those things are still going to happen in the world. There's just no way around it until the entire world is learning and practicing Gautama buddha's teachings where people are eliminating craving, anger and ignorance or unknowing of true reality this world is going to have harm it's only his teachings that teaches harmlessness and teaches it in such a clear and concise way that the entire world can liberate the mind through observing these truths and eliminating discontentedness of mind And until then, which isn't going to be in our lifetime, there's going to be harm in the world. And we just need to find ways to contribute benefit to society and realize that we can't solve all the world's problems. We can only do our part. Sure, I would like to share these teachings throughout the entire world. And so did Gautama Buddha. Gautama Buddha, he lived 2,500 years ago. He could only accomplish so much in his lifetime. And after that, it's up to everyone else to do their part. So for me, at this point in my life and for the rest of this life, I've decided that I'm going to offer these teachings and share these teachings openly and freely with the entire world. And that's my way of sharing and helping the world. But at the same time, I recognize that I can't help everyone in the world. There's just no possible way. There's going to be harm in this world. and. When that happens, it's unfortunate, but I didn't cause it, I didn't create it, and I can't solve it. The only thing I can do is offer these teachings to whomever chooses to come and learn and practice them, and from there, it's outside of my hands. The Buddha talked about what we're talking about now. He talked about it as fretting about the world. Essentially, as you're moving through this path, and you're training the mind, you get to a point where you're fretting about the world. Essentially, you're worried about the world, or we might complain about the world, right? We're worried about the world. Well, if you allow the mind to hold on to that and continue to worry about the world, we worry about everybody else, then your mind is still holding on. It's still craving. It's still attached. You're never going to get to enlightenment which means there's going to be rebirth because you're still worried about the world. You need to transform this worry into concern because a worried mind is going to see all the problems and it's going to be discontent. But a concerned mind is going to see all the solutions to the problems and it can be content. A concerned mind that sees all the solutions to the problems it can be content because it knows the solutions where a worried mind is just going to go around and worry and worry and worry and worry because there's so many problems and so many problems and so many problems. It's going to be discontent because it's worried and it's worried and it's worried. But a concerned mind knows the solutions to the problem. And for me, the solutions are Gautama Buddhist teachings. By sharing these teachings, in the way that I do, I know that the world is only going to get better and better and better. So therefore, I can be content knowing that I'm doing my part and I'm doing the best that I can do with the amount of effort that I can provide. And through those efforts, the world will become a better and better place. So I see all the problems. I know that there's an enormous amount of problems in the world. If anything, those problems motivate me to do what I'm doing even more and more. But not only do I see the problems, but I also see the solutions. And the solutions are for people to learn and practice these teachings. So therefore, I can be content because I know just like the human mind is gonna gradually change, gradually progress, the humanity is going to do the same thing. We can't just snap our finger and then all of humanity becomes peaceful. It doesn't happen that way because each individual's mind needs to gradually evolve to this higher consciousness. And that's not going to happen overnight. So you need to be content and realize the best thing you can do is work on your own mind. Don't fret about the world. Allow the world to do whatever the world's going to do. The world will be just fine. It will sort itself out. But you need to work on your own salvation, your own mind, purifying your own mind, creating peacefulness, calmness, serenity, and contentness with joy. Don't attach your contentedness to what everyone else is doing in the world. You have to seek that inner fulfillment, that inner contentment on your own, through your own mind, not attaching it to what others do or don't do.
2: We have another question from Shital. What is the enlightened mind interested in, if not any worldly thing?
1: (laughs) Well, every enlightened mind is going to be a little bit different. All enlightened minds are going to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, right? Permanently. But what each individual person does is going to be different. There's going to be enlightened people who are in politics. There's going to be enlightened people who are uh, construction workers. There's going to be enlightened people Who are police officers, or perhaps, or taxi drivers, or monks, or teachers, or waiters, or waitresses? Everybody is going to choose to contribute in the world as best that they can and however they choose to. When we talked on Sunday in that symbol of enlightenment, where it goes around in a circle and then it kind of winds through this path, becoming more and more and more and more and more more narrow, by the time you get to enlightenment, You've shed away all the ego and craving and anger and ignorance. You've shed away the self or self-identity, the self-image. And by the time you get to enlightenment, you're going to know what it is that you need to be doing in this world in order for you to contribute. Because right now, your decisions are all motivated by craving, anger, and ignorance or unknowing of true reality. Your mind is going around craving certain things based on your desires, based on what you think this self-image, what you think the self needs. That's what you're craving and that's what you're doing. Or you're craving based on the expectations of the people around you and that's why you're doing all the things that you're doing. All your decisions are being motivated out of craving, anger and ignorance or unknowing of true reality. This self and this ego So when you strip all this away and you strip away this layers of the onion and you get to the center, to the enlightened mind, it's going to be empty. And by that time, when you get to that enlightenment, as you progress to enlightenment, you're going to gradually figure out what's your place in this world and how you're going to contribute to the world. And each enlightened person is going to be different. We need lots of enlightened people in politics We need lots of community leaders who are enlightened. We need lots of uh, lawmakers. We need lots of people everywhere, waiters, waitresses, taxi drivers, you name it, people building houses, people in science and technology. All of these people can be enlightened. And the more enlightened people are when they're in those fields, unmotivated by craving anger and ignorance, the self and the ego they're going to be really excelling. They're going to be really good at progressing that field. So a scientist who's enlightened is going to have lots of innovation. A politician who's enlightened is going to have lots of success of leading people in that community leadership role. People who are doing various things, enlightened people are going to really be able to help the world. And as a humanity, gradually more and more and more and more people will become enlightened until the entire world is enlightened. But it's not going to happen during our lifetime.
2: I find it inspiring to imagine the difference that would make on corporate business if they were managed without Mm -hmm. craving, without greed. Just what an impact that would make on the world.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so many decisions, all the decisions of unenlightened people are affected by this craving anger and ignorance and that's what creates the unwholesome gamma because decisions are being made based on craving anger and ignorance this self and ego they're not always the right decision based on wisdom so people are making these decisions based on craving anger and ignorance the self and the ego and that's why what's coming back isn't always wholesome because unwholesome decisions are being made But by eradicating and eliminating, extinguishing, craving, anger and ignorance, the self and the ego, better and better decisions are made in the world. And as more and more human beings make these better decisions, the world will gradually get better and better and better. Why is our world so polluted? Because we did it. Because the unenlightened mind. Because of this Craving anger and ignorance. We crave certain conveniences. So we created all this plastic, right? And because of our ignorance of knowing how we're affecting the world, people just threw it out and threw it out and threw it out. And we've polluted the world, right? Through dumping oil, through all the things that we've done through the water systems, through our earth. This pollution of the world is a representation of the pollution in the mind of human beings because everything you see in the world is because of a decision that a human made. If you see a piece of trash on the floor or on the ground when you're outside, that's from a decision that a person made to do that, right? So the more that we eradicate craving anger and ignorance, the self and the ego from everybody's minds in the world, But each person has to choose to do that for themselves. We can't force people to do it. But by everybody choosing to do that, better and better and better decisions will be made in the world, and the world will gradually get better and better and better. This is why we've worked ourselves into this situation where humanity is at its lowest point ever in the history of the world. Mankind has come to a screeching halt with COVID-19. And people are kind of in time out for the last two or three months. And people are sitting around thinking about how we've really damaged this world. And more and more people are slowly, gradually awakening. And you can see it. If you understand the path to enlightenment, you can see how our species is slowly, gradually evolving. But it's not going to happen overnight. And we can't force other people to do it. So the only thing we can do is focus on your mind. So Shatel or anyone else who's joining us today or anyone else who hears this on the podcast or anywhere else, you focus on your mind. That's the only thing you can do. If people ask you what you're doing, you can tell them, you can encourage them, you can let them know, but don't do it with eagerness or this longing. Just gradually let them know that you're learning and practicing the teachings of the Buddha. And that's why your mind and your life is improving. And the more and more people that start becoming aware of Gautama Buddha's teachings, the whole world, all of humanity, will gradually evolve and become more and more enlightened. We're not going to see, during our lifetime, the entire world enlightened. So we have to get comfortable with the fact that we can only work on our own mind.
2: Shital also asks, What is the purpose of this life or birth on this earth?
1: Ah, great question. The purpose is to attain enlightenment. There really is no purpose, truly, other than to attain enlightenment. All the things that we do, job, relationships, activities, hobbies, sporting events, these are all modern things that we've created in order to occupy our time. In prehistoric times, when... Humans kind of first started evolving five million, six million years ago. All humans were interested in during that time was just existing peacefully, right? Just peacefully coexisting. Do I have food? Do I have warmth? Do I have something to keep the body comfortable? They were only interested in existing. Prehistoric humans weren't trying to figure out what's my importance, what's the significance of this life, what's the purpose of this life. It's only the modern ego that is choosing to try to figure out what is the real purpose here? Why are we really here? Well, the true answer to that question is there is no purpose. There is no purpose for us to be here other than to eliminate this cycle of rebirth. And the way that we do that is through enlightenment. By attaining enlightenment, we stop this constant cycle of rebirth that we've been on for eons and eons and eons and eons, being so many different animals and so many different beings in the past. The reason why you and I still exist is because we haven't eliminated craving, anger, and ignorance. As soon as you do, you will attain enlightenment and you will no longer be reborn. And you will know that you've done it because the mind will be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. You will have the truth for yourself. So you won't be waiting until you die to determine if you've made the right choices or not. You'll know now in this life. So there really is no purpose to this life. We just occupy our time with various activities to sustain our life and sustain our livelihood and maybe a little bit of entertainment here and there. But the ego... The ego craves this purpose because there's gotta be some purpose, right? There's gotta be some importance, right? The human ego wants this importance. It wants this significance. There's gotta be some reason why I'm here. No, there isn't. Because 100 years from now, 200 years from now, 500 years from now, nobody's even gonna know you existed, Chateau. No one's even gonna know you existed. No one's gonna even care you existed. Right? It might be hard for the ego to hear that, but no one's going to care you existed. There's no purpose for you being here other than the fact that your mind is still holding on. And when you let go, then the more you let go and you train the mind to enlightenment, you'll stop existing. That can be one of the motivators to encourage you to learn and practice to attain enlightenment, is because to a certain degree, Life can be pretty miserable in the unenlightened state. It can be pretty miserable. And that misery that you experience, that sadness, that anger, that hostility that you experience and that other people give to you, let that be your motivator of I'm getting out of here, right? I'm getting out of here. If you were in a room with three or four people and they were just hostile and angry all the time, you'd probably turn around and leave. You're like, I'm out of here. Well, that's what's going on here in this world. If you really don't like what's going on in this world, you don't like seeing children be treated poorly, you don't like seeing women or men or people who prefer same-sex relationships or other people being treated unfairly, then the best thing you can do is work on your own mind, eliminate craving, anger, and ignorance, and get out of here through attaining enlightenment and extinguishing this cycle of rebirth. There's no purpose other than to attain enlightenment. So sustain your life in whatever way you need to through a livelihood that's wholesome, where you can make enough money to support your clothing, your food, your water, your shelter, your medical care. But use your time to learn and practice these teachings so that you can get out of here. There's no reason to be here.
2: We have a question from Pratik. He asks... Does eating domestic meat and fish cause a violation of the first precept? Sometimes I come into conflict with my family regarding this eating fish, which causes more suffering to me and my family. How to find the middle way?
1: Okay, so I don't like to use the word violation because that makes it sound like these are rules, right? Eating meat absolutely creates unwholesome karma. okay? The first precept that you're talking about, the first guidance of the five precepts that the Buddha gave in order to help us to eliminate unwholesome things, this unwholesome gamma is to not kill, is to live compassionately, trembling for the welfare of all living beings, okay? That's what he taught, because he knew by killing other beings, it's going to cause harm in the world, And you can see that COVID-19, it's causing harm in the world. You can see that the environment has been trashed by us producing animals and growing them and killing them and then ingesting them. You can see the harm that the physical body takes on more disease and ailments because of eating meat. The meat that we eat or that some people eat is injected with drugs, toxins, hormones, things like this. And even if it's not injected, it's still picking it up from the groundwater. So when someone eats meat, it's well known that it causes disease and illness in the body. People who eat just vegetarian or vegan, you will end up seeing that there's less disease in the human body because of it. So by harvesting animals and having other people kill them for us, and then we ingest it, you can't get away from that unwholesome decision. Just because somebody else killed it for us, we're still ingesting the meat. So therefore, you're still going to get disease and sickness because of the meat that you're ingesting has drugs, toxins, hormones, and things like that in the actual substance. Even wild animals, they've pulled wild animals out of some of the rivers and streams in America and they've tested it and found 191 different substances in the fish that were wild fish. They found cocaine, antidepressants, anxiety medication, all those medications that people are taking and flushing in the toilet or putting in the sink, that's all going into the environment. And then the animals, even wild animals or farmed animals are picking that up. And then when we eat it, that's what is causing harm to the body. And when you eliminate meat from the body, from the food supply, this is your truth. You will see that the mind becomes more clear, more concentrated, and more focused because you don't have those drugs, hormones, and toxins inside the mind. So it's not enough to just say killing animals breaks or violates a precept because people then look at it as a rule. The reason why the Buddha shared this precept is because of the harm that's going to come from it. So what you need to do is show people the harm, if they're interested, without forcing them to understand it, is show them the harm, harm to the environment, harm to the animals, and harm to your own physical body through ingesting the meat. So if we are killing animals, yes, we are not following the guidance of the first precept we're also not following the guidance of the second precept the second precept is only take what is given to you await what is given right don't steal essentially so by killing an animal you're stealing its life so there's two teachings that the buddha gave that are not being practiced when we ingest meat and then there's a third teaching that he shared where he talked about right livelihood As part of the Eightfold Path, he gave five livelihoods that he said, if we did these livelihoods, they would cause harm in the world. Therefore, harm is going to come to us. One of those livelihoods is to have a trade or business in living beings. And the second one is trade or business in meat. So by not practicing these teachings, it's causing harm in the world. And therefore, harm is going to come to us. These are three key teachings that the Buddha shared. One is about killing and living compassionate. One is about stealing. And one is about livelihoods. By not doing these, we are seeing the harm in the world. One of the things that the Buddha didn't do, which is kind of interesting, is he gave the teachings and he shared what we should and shouldn't do as terms of guidance, in terms of what's gonna cause harm in the world, but he never explained all the harms that are gonna come from it. He said it was gonna cause harm. He didn't say what those harms are. And one of the interesting things about where we are in our time in history, 2,500 years later, is now we can look at his teachings from 2,500 years ago and we can see the harms from 2,500 years of not practicing those teachings, what those harms are. So, we can actually see the harm where he might not have explained what the harm was. He just said, This will cause harm. But now we can see it. So, if you look at the harms, you can share that oftentimes with people, and they may choose to change their practice and they may not. My wife and my son still eat meat. They eat less, but they eat meat. But I don't try to force them or push them or you know i don't have an expectation that they have to switch to become vegan or vegetarian they know and they support me in my practice but they have a certain craving for meat and they have to extinguish it and it's their practice they have to find the right time of when or if they're ever going to do that and that's their choice by them eating meat it's affecting them i've shared it with them they've Talked, we've discussed it. It affects them. It affects the health of their body. But they have to experience that gamma. That's their choices. It doesn't affect me. That's their choice. That's their life practice. And if I went around being angry because they're not eating vegetarian and vegan, then my mind's not going to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. I have to let them be their own people. So you can share these things with people if they ask you, but if you try to push it on people, they're gonna resist it, and you're not gonna be successful in helping them to see the truth. But if you wanna see the truth, just stop eating meat. Gradually move away from it, and you'll see the body and the mind will become more healthy.
2: We have a follow-up from Judith. Do plants have a soul? I don't like that we are in a dimension in which species eat each other What is the difference between eating meat, plants, or mushrooms at a spiritual level?
1: Okay. So, in order for there to be a living being, there needs to be three things. There needs to be an egg, a sperm, and a consciousness. These three things need to come together in order for there to be a living being. If we're killing a living being, then there's going to be harm from that. So, Animals and humans are living beings. There's an egg, a sperm, and a consciousness. Okay, if we kill animals or humans, there's going to be harm from that. Plants, mushrooms, lemongrass, broccoli, lettuce, all these things, they're not living beings. They're plants. They don't have an egg, a sperm, and a consciousness. They don't have a mind. So we're not causing harm by eating plants. And that's what we need in order to sustain our life. So that's what we need to eat in order to replenish this body and build up its strength and give it energy.
2: We have a question from Manal. She asks, Teacher David, as silly as this sounds, yesterday I might have killed what looks like a giant cockroach. I was trying to move it out of the way under a cup, but I didn't realize it was immobile by the time I had released it. The reason why I bring this up is I feel guilt for disturbing the life it had. Guilt typically involves understanding this, but we might still continue doing things. On the topic of guilt, does it help or hinder?
1: So see, this is the gamma, right? A lot of times people think that gamma or karma is this mystical, magical thing in the sky that is like a bank account that we add or subtract from. What karma is, is the result of our decisions. When we make good, wholesome decisions, good, wholesome things come back to us. When we make unwholesome decisions, unwholesome things come back to us. So what Gautama Buddha's teachings do, his dhamma, is essentially explaining these natural laws of existence that if you learn and practice these, that's why you can eliminate all these discontent feelings. So where this guilt is coming in is because you know you killed something, and that's the gamma that's coming back to you. But the reason why you're experiencing this guilt is because they're still craving anger and ignorance. So let's give you a little bit more wisdom so that you can maybe eliminate this from the mind. You were not having the intention to kill this cockroach. It's something that just happened. In fact, you were trying to very politely and respectfully relocate it to another place, but it just happened to die as part of this. You didn't realize that you had killed it. So you didn't intentionally kill this being. So you should hopefully release that guilt that you didn't intentionally mean to kill this being. It just happened. Okay. The other thing to think about here is this is that being's gamma. Okay. In the animal realm, they're constantly reborn over and over and over and over and over over again. For that cockroach to be in the animal realm, that was its gamma to be in the animal realm. And that was its gamma to die. It can't attain enlightenment in the animal realm. It's going to have to be reborn multiple times until it eventually gets to a human birth to actually be able to attain enlightenment. Maybe it got to a human birth right after it died, you know, when you, you accidentally killed it. So perhaps it's moved into a human birth. Who knows? But regardless, as this was that being's gamma. It was going to die at some point. You didn't intentionally kill it. It just happened to die as part of you trying to to have loving kindness and compassion for this being. And it didn't work out that way. There's times where I might have a bug land on me and I'll kind of swipe it off. And if it's a a real small bug, like a mosquito or something, it might actually die because their, their body structure is so nimble. So I don't feel bad about that because I've tried. And oftentimes I'll blow, you know, I'll blow at them because that tends to not hurt them in rather than flicking them. But there's been situations where even I've blown and it still kills the mosquito. Maybe it's my bad breath. Who knows? <laughs> but I think maybe I just blew a little bit too hard maybe. So you have to release that and realize that, okay, my intention is to practice harmlessness. That's my intention. Harmlessness. That's right intention. Harmlessness. Non-ill will. My intention is to practice loving kindness, active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. My intention is to practice compassion, concern for others' misfortune. So these are all your intentions. But even with that intention, do you think you can permanently not kill? Is that possible? No, it's not possible, right? Even with all the best intentions, you're probably going to end up killing something eventually. Even just walking down the street on the sidewalk, there's probably ants that you step on and don't even realize it. And that's their karma as an ant, that they just happen to be under your foot and they happen to die. So you have to release this guilt and realize that you tried to do the best thing. And that's the best you can do is have the intention of harmlessness, have the intention of non-ill will, and non-harm. And by practicing that way, not only with the cockroach, but with people and humans and other beings, then your mind is moving in the direction of enlightenment. So if I was you, I would let that guilt go. Thank
2: you, David. We have no more questions this time.
1: Yeah. And adding on there, right, the thing that's causing the guilt is not only the killing, but it's the craving that you want every being to be alive, right? You want to not kill. You have this expectation. That's the craving that's causing the discontent mind. So you have to realize that that's permanence. You can't not always kill. You can practice harmlessness, but occasionally you might inadvertently accidentally kill a being here or there. Okay. So since we don't have any more questions, let's go to our meditation for today. Our meditation is loving-kindness meditation. We're going to practice this in the way that we have before. You're going to take a position of either seated, standing, or lying, and you're going to focus the mind on the breath. We're going to do breathing mindfulness meditation for a period of time, and then we're going to move into loving-kindness meditation. Our loving-kindness meditation, the way that we do it, is we're going to do affirmations. So after we do our breathing mindfulness meditation, I will provide guidance, where I will say, may I be peaceful. And when you hear that, on the out-breath, repeat it in your mind, may I be peaceful. Then I'm going to say, may I be safe. And wherever you get to your out-breath, repeat that in the mind, may I be well again on your out-breath, repeat that in the mind. May I be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. Repeat that in the mind. Because with loving kindness meditation, you always start with yourself. Because how could you have active goodwill without judgment towards others if you don't have it for yourself? This would be like a poor person trying to host a seminar of how to get rich in the next 10 years. Well, how can that poor person teach people how to get rich in 10 years if they haven't been able to acquire wealth themselves? So how could we cultivate loving kindness in our mind for others if we don't first have it for ourselves? So when you do loving kindness meditation, always start with yourself, with I, okay? From there, We're gonna make these rings, okay? And I don't ever know what the rings are before I actually create them. I just kind of create them as I go, starting with I and then moving out in an outward direction until eventually we get to the last ring where we say, may all beings be peaceful. May all beings be safe. May all beings be well. May all beings be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. Because you don't want to leave anyone out and remember we're not praying asking other beings to be loving and kind right we're not trying to influence others through our meditation that's not how meditation works meditation is an active independent purposeful training session where you're either eliminating certain things from the mind or you're cultivating certain things in the mind here We're cultivating our mind to have active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. And by us changing our mind, then we interact with other beings differently. And because of gamma, then that's what comes back to us slowly over time. Okay? So I will create these rings as we go. And each time I do this, it's kind of different. It's never the same way. What I've shared with you here in the book and in our display is may I, may we, may all beings. Very rarely would I do it this way. Usually there in the middle, there's lots of other rings depending on how long you would like your meditation to be. You know, 20, 30 minutes, you know, it's probably about five to six rings would be about 20 or 30 minutes. And if you would like more than that, you can do more than that. Or for example, like in Chantel's case, if she's having trouble with a certain family member and cultivating active goodwill towards your mom or your dad, you may want to pick them individually. You may want to start with I and then say, may my mom be peaceful. May my mom be safe, right? Go through that. May my dad go through that. May my cousin, right? You can do people individually like this. And again, you're not trying to change them with your meditation. You're trying to change your mind. So if you've got resentment or anger or hostility or aggression towards any particular people, whether they're currently in your life or whether it's from past events, you should be doing this loving kindness meditation every single day and you should be including them in your meditation so that you cultivate this active goodwill. Your practice isn't based on them. So let's just say I grew up and was sexually abused when I was a child and say that I haven't seen that person for 20 years, but in the mind, there's still this resentment and anger and hostility. That's not helping me. It's not helping me. So this meditation can transform that resentment and that hostility into active goodwill for all beings it doesn't mean you're going to go talk to that person it doesn't mean you're going to go have a relationship with that person it doesn't mean you're ever going to see that person again in your life however if you hold on to this resentment and anger and hostility in the mind for this person from 20 years ago then your mind isn't peaceful calm serene and content with joy so you've got to let this go you've got to get this out of the mind and remember with sexual abuse, you were a victim. This person harmed you. If you hold on to this resentment, you're allowing them to still harm you. So let it go. It doesn't serve any wholesome purpose to hold on to this. So this is a meditation that can really help you to eliminate that. Again, not that you're ever going to see that person again necessarily, but at least you can clear this out of the mind. This is how you clear out past traumas like this that have happened to you in your life through breathing mindfulness meditation and through loving kindness meditation, which is what we're going to do today. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into our meditation position, whether that's seated, lying, or standing. If you're going to sit on the floor, you probably want to cross your legs and get your rear up in the air a little bit high. That way it'll reduce the angle on your hips and it will release the circulation and allow the circulation to flow in your lower legs just cross your legs just nice and comfortable you don't want them to be real tight your upper body should be in the middle not slouched and not real rigid okay you want to maintain your upper body with your own muscles Because this is going to maintain an active, attentive, and alert mind. By doing that, we can then train the mind. If the mind is sluggish or inattentive, then we can't train it. So by maintaining our muscles to be engaged in the upper body, now we can actively train the mind because it's attentive, because we're using our muscles. So if you're in a chair, don't lean back unless your body's just really painful and you need it. Okay. Try to maintain that alertness of the mind. With your hands and arms, Gautama Buddha put his right hand on top of his left and put his thumbs together and then put those in your lap. If that works for you, use it. But remember, this practice isn't about everyone doing it exactly the same way. So if you'd like to put your hands on your lap or on your knee or on the armrest of the chair, go ahead and do that. Whatever is comfortable, you would like your body to be comfortable but not luxurious because if your body is luxurious, it's going to have a tendency for the mind to turn off. So allow the body to be comfortable in whatever position you need to be able to do that. These are a couple suggestions for you. Next, just close your eyes and breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Focus the mind on the breath. The breath is the present moment and you wanna focus the mind on the sound of the breath or the sensation of the air entering the nose. You stay here and just focus on the breath. I'm gonna do some chanting in order to ease the mind into meditation and then i'll be back with you with some guidance to help you deepen your breathing mindfulness meditation and then to guide you in loving kindness meditation if you know these chants you're welcome to chant along with me
3: O tang makavandang api vatemi. So, but Ipanom haka watto sa waka sanko nap moid ha Hara to Samasam Potasa Napmoid bhāgavāto Hara Hato Samasam Potasa Napmoid Hassa Arahato sama samputa sam. Itipi hakawa. Arahang sama samoto. We cha Saka to Rokavitu Anu tero purisa Tama sati sata tawa manu sanan puto pagavati.
1: you should be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Fixing the mind on the breath. The sound of the breath or the sensation of the air entering the nose over the skin. Fixing the mind on the breath. This is the present moment. As the mind chooses to take you in the past or the future, just cut it off. Wherever you notice that, just cut it off, let it go, and bring the mind to the breath. If the mind has thoughts or ideas or perceptions, just let them go. Cut it off. Bring the mind to the breath. The breath is the present moment. I'm going to leave you on your own to just establish your breath. Work on eliminating craving, desire, attachment. That mental longing where the mind holds on and holds on. Bring the mind into the present moment by fixating it on the breath. And then I'll be back with you for loving-kindness meditation. You have nowhere to go, nothing to do, and no one needs you right now. This is your time to train the mind. Focus on the breath, the present moment. Now continue your breath in through the nose and out through the nose. Continue to focus on the breath. But now add this affirmation each time you get to an out-breath. Just say this affirmation in the mind to cultivate loving-kindness active goodwill towards all beings. May I be peaceful. Be safe. be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May we be peaceful. May we be safe. be well, may we be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those who agree with me be peaceful. May they be safe. be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those who disagree with me be peaceful. May they be safe. Be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Those who have harmed me, may they all be peaceful. May they all be safe. be free of discontentedness in the suffering it causes. those whom I've harmed. May they all be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. all beings, no matter where they are or what realm they're in, may they all be
3: peaceful
1: be safe. May they be well. Free of discontentedness and all the suffering it causes.
3: Sama-sam-ho-to-am-ah-gava mah gavan hang te a mi sava kha to am ah Sāāmi. Sūpādhipa nō māgavato namāmi. NAPMODHASA more ARAHATO sap haga watto. Ara hatto, some ma NAPMODHA SAH BHAGAVATO ARAHATO SAMH SAMBHUTA SAH PITI PISO MAHAGAVA ARAHANG SAMH SAMBHUTA we cha cha ra nan sammono sakhato dama sati satatawa manusanang Okay.
1: guys can go ahead and come out of meditation. Remember that meditation is an accumulative benefit. You may receive benefit on a first session if this is the first time you've done this style of meditation, or you may notice it will take several sessions before the benefits really start to soak in. But it's important that you stick with the practice and you dedicate time each day to breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. All of these meditations, whether it's breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation, is working to eliminate craving or hatred or anger. The wisdom is that You're learning these teachings, and you're applying them in the practice to work on eliminating that delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality. So work with these meditations. But remember, your practice is a life practice. It's not just meditation. You can't meditate your way to enlightenment. It's not possible. You can't just meditate and get to enlightenment but you also wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment without meditation. So you need an entire life practice. This is what the Eightfold Path is providing for you. So now that you've cultivated loving kindness in meditation, you need to practice it in daily life. And we practice that through our intentions, our speech, our actions, our livelihood, and the whole Eightfold Path In the book that I share, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, you can learn the Eightfold Path and then gradually implement this into your life more and more. So that your practice isn't just meditating, but it's also daily decisions that you make on a day-to-day basis. That's what's going to improve the quality of the mind and the quality of the life. But you really need to soak the teachings in To make it so that it's first nature, right? Right now, you're operating through this craving, anger, and ignorance, but the more wisdom of these teachings that you bring into the mind and you soak it in, then you'll be able to make better and better decisions in your life. The Buddha never tells you in his teachings what decisions to make, he's just teaching you how to train the mind. You'll figure out the decisions in your life, you'll figure those out, or if you need guidance and some suggestions, I'm willing to help you. But ultimately, I'll never make a decision for you. I'll just give you guidance in terms of the Buddhist teachings. And then you've got to figure out for your own self what decisions to make based on this wisdom of the teachings. One really key decision that you need to make is make the decision to learn and practice. You make that one decision and it will drastically improve your life. And then make the decision to meditate every day. If you can meditate every day, once, twice, three times a day, meditate. That's a second decision that you can really make to improve your life. And one decision after another, your life and the quality of your mind will just get better and better and better. Okay. Any questions on our meditation or anything we discussed today?
2: It appears we have no questions at the moment.
1: Okay. Then I will just wish you guys well. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy the rest of your day, whatever that ends up being. And remember, on Sunday, we're going to start with our talk on misunderstandings of Gautama Buddha's teachings. So we're in Chapter 24 on Sunday at 9 o'clock and we're going to go through some various misunderstandings that exist in the world around Gautama Buddha's teachings. We're going to talk about the three main branches of Buddhism, and we're going to talk about misunderstandings within these branches, including within the Theravada tradition. Because even in the Theravada tradition that aims to keep the teachings as close to the lifetime of the Buddha as possible, which is the tradition of these teachings, even in this tradition, It's still been affected by impermanence. And there's things that are being practiced that aren't actually Gautama Buddha's teachings. So, the more that you're aware of those, the more you can see them for yourself, the more you'll be able to see clearly what the path is to enlightenment. So, it's important that you see this path very, very clearly so that you can walk the path with the Buddha and walk to this path of enlightenment. So, I'll see you guys on Sunday at 9. Look forward to seeing you then. Have a very lovely day, and we'll see you next time. Sawadee,
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment.